Rusty Quill presents. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. For Jacques. Isolation is a bad blanket. Most people, those who can, eschew it in favor of the warmth good company brings. But those who can't, the introverts, the awkward, the strange, may find it easier to 
to wrap themselves in those tattered threads when confronted by the chill of loneliness. Not because it's enjoyable, but because going out into the world can be so much lonelier when you're not really a part of it. Today's story is about a man living alone, with little more than the glow of his computer to keep him company. He has a job, sure, and a few acquaintances, but otherwise he is a man on his own, a solitary creature slinking his way through life in the shadows. But something from beyond the veil of death and time may soon enter into the life of this modern hermit, whether he wants it to or not. Hello, I'm Tyler Bell and you're listening to The West Side Fairy Tales, an anthology of short horror and dark fiction stories written, read, and produced by me. If you're new to The West Side Fairy Tales, don't worry. Our stories are all standalone tales that can be listened to in any order. So long as they aren't a multi-part story, like today's. And all multi-part stories are noted as part one, two, etc. in the episode description. Before we get to today's story, I've got a couple of recommendations. This month's recommended book is My Friend Dahmer by Durf Backdurf. Yes, that really is his name. My Friend Dahmer is a semi-biographical account of notorious serial killer Jeffrey Dahmer's teen years in a quiet Wisconsin suburb as remembered by Backdurf, who was his friend throughout most of high school. Backdurf, who made his living as a serial cartoonist after high school, delves into the life and times of teenage Dahmer's slow and steady slip into madness. His art style is odd, eccentric, and pretty trippy at times, but it captures the eccentricities of Dahmer and his high school pals in ways words simply can't. I breezed through the entire thing in about a day, and it certainly stuck with me for years afterward. More than simple, gory, true crime, it's a heart-sickening tale of a boy's loss of innocence and sanity due to a terrible family life and social isolation. It's a wonderfully gripping story, and I highly recommend it. There's a movie out, too, but you should support the author and try the paper edition first. I'll leave a link in the description. Today's random horror recommendation, which turned out to be so shockingly good to me that it bumped the original recommendation back a couple months, is the Netflix original series, The Haunting of Hill House. I actually went into this one expecting very little. In fact, I didn't even bother watching it at first because all the trailers made it look stupid and predictable. But on my fiancé's recommendation, I dived in, and... That show really took me for a spin. Based on Shirley Jackson's 1959 novel of the same name, Haunting of Hill House concerns itself with the lives of the Crane family as they adjust to life in the eponymous house. The place itself is a sprawling Victorian mansion built in the lonely woods, and the plot revolves around the seven individual members of the Crane family in two time periods. The first is with the Crane siblings as young children, and the months and days leading up to the family's mysterious flight from the house in the dead of the night. The second is in the decades after, where the horrors of the house and their lingering effects still haunt the surviving Cranes. The show is ultimately a masterpiece of spooky, atmospheric writing. The basic plot follows the thread of a family moving into a house and experiencing steadily worsening effects of a supposed haunting. But the writing really shines in the character development and some honestly unexpected twists near the end. You can watch this one with a Netflix subscription, and even hear me ramble on about it at length in the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club pseudocast I'll be releasing on my Patreon. And, a little later, free. 
at the Westside Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club page on Facebook. I'll talk a little more about that at the end of the episode, but you can find the necessary links in the description if you think you might forget. And now, without further ado, today's story, Ghost Story, Part 1. Bardan adjusted his headphones and rubbed the bridge of his nose, turning the playhead back 15 seconds with a tap on the keyboard. The dialogue hiccuped and restarted from just before where he heard the air. Seeing the nature of time as a web spread out before her through the door, a series of interconnections no more or less important than the others, but still she could see that one thread, which led Saito back home across the sea and left her here in this... Cold and lonely home. The narrator was a British man he was faintly familiar with, an up-and-coming name in the field of voice acting and narration, as far as names in that field could be considered up-and-coming. The man's voice was the sort of smooth, faintly regal received pronunciation people loved for romances and tragedies and anything with melancholic, brooding protagonists. It wasn't Barden's favorite but it was easy enough on the ears after 15 straight hours of editing. He rewound the playhead again, tightening in on the air. The light of his computer monitor was the whole of the illumination present in his room, save for the occasional brief slash of moonlight that fought its way out of the thick November clouds covering Paris. The garret he'd rented wasn't worth a single franc of what he'd paid save for the view which opened up on the glittering windows and runs and alleys and roofs of the arrondissement below his. <coughs> is what the air sounded like. It didn't even create a waveform in the timeline, the heartbeat-like drawings the computer used to visually render sound. It would have to have been just between 32 and 33 decibels for him to hear it and it not present on the line. An odd error for the recording staff at Merrimore Studios to let slip through though they weren't the most attentive engineers on the best day. He highlighted the errant bit of information and deleted it, then set the working audio into place so the deletion wouldn't show up as a big, soundless gap. He hit play after that, and Riggs Colton, the narrator, started speaking again. If it were him, he'd have hired a woman to read this story. Damn near all of it was from a woman's perspective, and it was odd to hear her words put to such a masculine voice. Colton didn't really reserve his vibrating baritone either. Still, it was nice to listen to. The moon sank outside the window and Barden finished his work for the day, clicking through the last few checklist items on his desktop before exporting the audio file. His finger paused over the mouse button right before he clicked OK. He sat back and drummed his fingers over the cheap fiberboard desk he'd pulled out of a dumpster behind the university and then rubbed his chin. He'd already opened a new email to send in the night's progress. Her name sat at the top of it, a few lines over the empty page and the steadily blinking cursor. He swallowed, then pulled the microphone around and plugged it into his computer. He flicked on the preamp and watched the little red light inside the microphone housing kick on. Barton hit record, then licked his lips. He took a breath. He adjusted his seat. Another breath. I... Melon, he started, his voice catching in his throat. He forced himself to cough a few times, then took a deep breath and started again. Hi, uh, 
Melanie. This is Barden. He sighed and kept going. What the fuck am I even saying? Okay, here we go. Hey, Melanie, this is Barden. I noticed some uh, odd recording errors on your end, from your end, on your end. Sure, yeah. On your end that you guys might want to address? The recording is fine. It's just something like a fan or something, I think. It's a weird sound. Anyway, just letting you know. Barden stared at his computer for a long while after hitting stop, then buried his face in his hands. His skin was cold and clammy with sweat. His heart was near to beating out of his chest. He kept himself from kicking his own ass as he edited down the audio to something he wouldn't want to commit suicide over if another human being heard it. The final product was passable. Hey, Melanie, his voice said in his headphones. This is Barden. I noticed some odd recording errors on your end that you guys might want to address. It's a fan or something. Just letting you know. He nodded and added the file to the end of Colton's narration, then exported the thing and sent it off to Marymore Studios, breathing a heavy sigh of relief and covering his face with his hands. When he pulled them down, there was an eyeless white face hovering in the near darkness beyond his desk. He screamed and arched back in his chair, kicking the wheels out from underneath himself and tumbling into the wall. The impact shuddered the weak floorboards, and he heard a solid three thumps against the ceiling beneath his legs. He slapped at his pockets and pulled his keys out, turning on the accessory light and shining it into his apartment. Nothing. Weak blue illumination lit the anime posters on the wall over his bed and the tiny kitchenette beyond that. The unfinished ceiling running the length of the angular roof looked especially ugly. The cross bracing threw jagged and interconnected shadows that danced like a web in the wind with every twitch of his wrist. But there was nothing in his room. No face. Nobody but him. He was, as always, alone. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Barden waded out the sun in the sort of half-sleep that came with living like a vampire. The clothes he wore outside were more than enough for the weather and he worked up a sweat that chilled the bridge of his nose with every frigid November breeze. People milled here and there. His arrondissement was the popular sort of place everybody visited, but nobody seemed to live in. Maybe in a few years, rent would be too expensive, and he would have to move again. That's what his neighbors were afraid of anyway. He bought cigarettes, wine, and a few sandwiches from the cafe down the street. The girl behind the checkout counter smiled at him in the way some women did. Some of them liked his gaunt frame, dark eyes, and darker hair. A girl in college had told him once that he looked like Neil Gaiman might, if the man had never sold a book, which he decided to take as a compliment. Having friends over? The counter girl asked. Barden swallowed and glanced up at her eyes. They were smooth, cool cerulean marred here and there by flecks of brilliant green. Her skin held the all-but-faded tan of a late-summer trip to Cannes, and was similarly marred here and there by smatterings of freckles. Her smile was soft and distracted, polite. One of her teeth had the smallest chip. No, Barden said, looking down at the counter. His mouth was dry and his heart was beating its way out of his chest. He shifted his shoulders so his collar covered his mouth. Sometimes it helped him speak better. Sometimes. Just me, he added. His palms itched. They itched. Itched. He put his fingernails into one hand and scratched at them gently. The girl had already gone back to dealing with the register. Everything he'd bought was tucked into a paper bag with a tidy little stamp on the side. The cafe's logo. Two black birds circling each other. Here you go, she said, smiling again. He let his eyes meet hers and smiled back, then grabbed the bag as she handed it to him. Her fingers were still on the folded paper and he touched them, her forefinger catching between his forefinger and thumb. Her skin was incredibly soft, incredibly warm. He felt the lacquered imperfections in her thumbnail, thin rivulets where brushstrokes had dried into place in the polish. The sharp, fragile tip of the nail followed scratching lightly at the prints in the pad of his thumb as she released the bag. I'm sorry, he said, but she didn't hear. The excess touch had meant nothing to her. She was already scrolling through the lights on her phone, the polite affectation of her smile now nearly as faded as that late summer tan. Barden looked around, hoping nobody had seen, and then rushed outside, nearly bowling over a slightly drunk man in a tatty old suit. I'm sorry, Barden hissed, half shouted, gritting his teeth and forcing himself out into the cool autumn air. He was nearly overheated. 
dying of heat. His heart felt on the verge of rupture. He stalked to the edge of the block and took shelter in an alcove, unbuttoning his heavy coat and resting his head against the plaster cornice of a now defunct druggist's facade. He clenched his eyes and raised his face as far out of the coat as he could. A couple paused outside the alcove, on the street corner. He wore a suit and she almost nothing, a red slip of a dress that barely reached beneath the hem of the jacket he'd loaned her. They kissed as the man dipped down to pull his cigarettes from the interior pocket, along with a lighter, and his lips lingered there. Then he lit the cigarette and they spoke in hushed voices, sharing the tobacco and sheltering each other against the deepening night. Bardin expected them to turn. His head ran over a million possibilities, all more extreme than the last. The man would be offended he was standing there. The woman would be scared. The man would think him a pervert. The woman would ask the man to beat him. The woman would scream. The man would strike without warning. Both would take pity on him. And he would have to make up a lie about why he was standing there. Both would take pity on him. And he would have to make up a lie about why he was standing there. This was his building, Barden could say. He was just inspecting the plaster. He thought he heard rain. He thought perhaps he heard somebody inside. He just liked it here, and who in the fuck were they to ask him questions like that? He was an inspector from the police, lying in wait for seedy characters. Do they have ID? The young couple finished their shared cigarette and left without ever giving the alcove a glance. The man discarded the used butt in the gutter where it lay on the dry, cold, and cracked asphalt and smoked alone for only Barden to see. He waited a while longer for their footsteps to recede, then stepped onto the sidewalk and picked up the still smoldering butt. He fished one of his own cigarettes from his heavy coat and lit it off the man's cigarette, then wiggled the remaining tobacco free and crushed the smoking remains with his foot. He glanced down the street and saw just the red hem of the woman's dress disappearing into the door of the cafe he'd just left. He dropped the couple cigarette butt into a nearby trash can and walked home, head down and coat buttoned again his paper bag tucked under his arm. Barden left one of the sandwiches by his landlord's door, knocked once, and then hurried up the stairs to his garret. He walked softly and quickly, but not so quick as to get into his room before Miss Mansour's voice echoed up the staircase. It's no great thing to visit, Barden, she called. Anytime, son. Doors always open. He froze on the stairs and opened his mouth, then shut it, waiting for the soft click of her door shutting. The building was old, but all the locks and bolts and hinges were replaced every few years or so. Miss Mansour credited the constant updates to the malcontents she rented to copying keys and handing them out to friends, or failing to turn them in, but he knew it was just an excuse for her to keep her own door at the cutting edge of security. She was old now and afraid of the world. Thank you for the sandwich, Barden. The messenger on his computer read, Miss Mansour writing him from downstairs, a far more comfortable arrangement for him. He smiled and stored his coat on one of the overhead hooks he'd installed for himself, and sat in his chair. His hands flicked over the keyboard. I'm 
Sorry I didn't stay around. I just really don't feel good today, he said. He thought for a second and then added, How are you doing? It took her a long time to respond. He'd seen her type, so that was no surprise. My son visited last weekend, she wrote. He comes less and less now. He's so busy. But I'm sure he plans to move back to the city soon. He needs a wife. And there are plenty of women here that'd suit him. Almost none out there in the country. I'm sure he'll come around, Bardan wrote. He opened his inbox and saw Melanie had responded to his message. A simple thanks, with a smiley face next to it. A picture emoji you could send from a phone. Not the simple colon parentheses he would have typed himself. He didn't have a smartphone. Any phone, really. Ed might give people the impression he wanted to talk. Or, God forbid, use some sort of video conference application. He froze when he looked over Melanie's message again. There was an attachment at the bottom, an audio file. It was far too small to be for work, less than a megabyte in fact. He clicked it open and the screen brightened as the blue audio player interface opened. Her voice came to life, buttery and direct, painted into existence on the screen in oscillating lumps of waveform. Hi, Bodin, she said in English. It was good hearing your voice again. We don't seem to talk much for co-workers. Anyway, the boss has overheard your voice on that last recording and wanted me to ask you to read some basic copy. Nothing fancy, just the legal stuff at the end of the episodes. They want a guy's voice, but not Colton's. It's too stentorian, I guess. Anyway, what do you think? Just respond to this if you're interested, and I'll send you the copy. Cora will handle the extra pay. There was a short pause. Talk to you later, Barden, she said, and the recording went quiet. Barden looked at the screen for a long time and then swung his mic back around to his face. He rarely used the thing, except to make notes and the occasional filler recording. He never expected to really use it, not for something he'd be paid for. She was probably messing with him. That was it. She was just fucking with him. They heard his goofy, rumbly, nasally, stupid fucking voice in the engineer's booth at Marymore and put Melanie up to getting him to read copy like an asshole. They'd probably just sit around and laugh at him when he sent it. His hands were shaking and dotted in sweat. He turned and opened the big window behind his seat. Melanie isn't like that, he whispered to himself. She wouldn't do something like that. She's a professional. All of them are professionals. This is... He swallowed and braced his hand against the edge of his desk. This is an opportunity. It's a good thing, Barden. A good thing. He took a breath. Nothing to be worried over. The tenant below him thumped around downstairs, and he felt a bump against the floorboards directly under his feet. Barden looked down, surprised, and then shook his head. This person would be his landlord's neighbor, the only one of the nine apartments in the building connected to his by a wall, or floor, in this case. The building was laid out in a simple three-by-three three grid, with the three apartments vertically beneath his being small single rooms and the six on the sides of the building being larger two-bedroom apartments. 
His garret was supposed to be an angular storage attic at the top of the stairs, but Miss Mansour's father had converted it to a rentable space to make more money. Barden had only a passing knowledge of who lived in what apartment. Chance meetings on the rare occasions he happened to be on the stairs or in the halls when somebody else was. Usually, they were coming home late from work or leaving early for the bar and more than happy to ignore him. On the few occasions they tried to stop him for small talk, he'd hold his stomach and tell them he was in a hurry. That almost always broke the conversation. Almost. He set up his equipment and recorded a response for Melanie that took several hours to get right. Rain began to fall shortly after he turned on the microphone, then thunder started to rumble in the rafters. He was forced to speak between thunderclaps and jam his code into the window to deaden the sound of the rain. He eventually recorded with a blanket over his head to get everything quiet enough. It was a lot of extra effort that seemed unnecessary, but he wanted it to be perfect. Though, in the end, he'd only recorded a few short sentences. He hit the play button on the recording program and unplugged his headphones, listening to himself stutter and ramble his way through 50 different ways of saying, Yes, I'd be honored to help Merrimore Studios out with this request. He started breaking down his soundproofing, grumbling as he squeezed a cup's worth of water from the neck of his coat. He hung the sopping thing on a hook beside the door and returned his blanket to his bed. Lightning darted down over the city as he fixed the scratchy old military blanket back into place. He'd bought the thing fourth-hand from a second-hand clothing and home goods shop around the block. Black letters reading B-82 were still legible in faded stencil patterns on the top and bottom of the frizzy green wool. The blanket was still floating gently down over the bed when the recording went insane. Would love to... Would love to... His voice was saying on the computer, but the words were slowed down and spotty, as though the mic had lost latency or something. Then they faded off into nothing. Static. Barden swallowed and looked at his computer. The light coming from the monitor, which itself faced the window overlooking the city, was flicking mad white and black shapes over the walls. The light was almost physical. Thick, like he could reach out and grab it. The noise that followed caused him to stumble. It held only the suggestion of a word or phrase, a cheap imitation of human speech by a broken throat. The recording cut back to his voice. And thanks, of course, for thinking of me. And again back to the damaged recording. Lightning struck an antenna down the street. Barden saw it happen through the window. Over in less than a second and yet seeming to linger for several moments as his mind tried to make sense of it. The sheer white line, barely crooked, seeming as thick and visceral as a concrete pylon, struck the outstretched arms of the aerial and then curved wildly sideways through the city. The bar of light split into a dozen little arms that turned all of Paris to daylight for the briefest second. In that second, he saw the strange white face again and the body attached to it. She was not looking at him, but over his shoulder, her reflection caught in the midnight window. 
Her fingers were thin and draped over one another in front of her like a mantis. She had nothing like eyes, only the sockets where they should be, and those too large for any human. Her mouth pursed up in a frown as she looked over the city, the high black collar behind her neck shifting as she turned that frown on Barden. And then all was dark. All of Paris lost power and time with the rumbling crack of the following thunder. Barden could see only the shape of his garret window as it framed the dim gray clouds and the starlets of rain catching in the twilight. The city's buildings were lost to silhouette against the lighter sky. Barden screamed and moved his hands wildly through his pockets, searching for the utility light on his keyring. It was a simple LED fob he'd had for ages. Greenish glow from the glow-in-the-dark plastic casing stained the skin of his hand, only slightly dimmer than the blue light now shivering over his room. There was nothing. No woman. No face. As his quivering hand moved around the garret, the lights of Paris began flicking back on seemingly one building at a time. His own room stayed dark, however, filled only with the faint light of his LED and the constant beat of the rain. Shit, he said to himself. He turned fully now, casting the light throughout the apartment until he was sure he was alone. And he was. There was no sign of the woman or anything else in there. At least, anything that shouldn't be in there. He kept the light on and stepped through his door. He could hear the people below him, many it seemed, bustling about in the apartment. Trying to find a breaker in the room itself, he figured. Not much luck of that, though. The legendary former owner, Mr. Mansour, had never bothered bringing the building up to modern code. The whole place ran off a single fuse box, not breakers, and he'd have to go down himself to put it to rights. Miss Mansour was too old to navigate the stairs. But then, is that you? She asked as he walked down from the fourth floor. Yes, Miss Mansour, he replied, shining the light in his own face. She said something in acknowledgement and he returned the beam to the floorboards. They looked ghastly in the dim light, more gnarled and old than they really were. Can you work the fuse box? Would that be too much to ask? It's no problem, Miss Mansour, he replied. It was much easier to speak when he couldn't see her face and she couldn't see his, when they were but voices in the darkness. I was on my way down there already. You're a good boy, Barden, she said. Thank you. She paused. I'm going to keep inside my apartment. There are men these days who would take advantage of an old woman in a blackout. Sad times, Barden called after her. Her reply was faint. Sad times indeed. Barden wasn't afraid of the dark. After all, he'd spent all of his adult life and most of his adolescence in the space between the setting and rising of the sun. If anything, it calmed him. Even down in the basement, where his feet splashed in puddles of water leaking in through the foundation, he was at peace with the quiet blackness. 
He'd been down here a dozen times before, so it was hardly alien territory. Nearly every time a new tenant moved in, he'd have to come down and reset the fuses. Because people didn't know, they couldn't have the lights and the stove on at the same time in 1A, or turn on the television and the air conditioner in 2B. Mr. Mansour had wired the place himself to hear Miss Mansour tell it, and did the entire job based on an electrician's manual that was already outdated when he started. The entire building was barely able to handle the most basic loads. Miss Mansour barely got by on the meager rents she charged. They were maybe half the average on the rest of the block. From what Barden had gathered, she simply didn't want to move and intended on keeping the place running until she died. Her son, an indolent countryside politician, would inherit the place then and probably evict Barden and everybody else the very next day. If that was legal. Maybe even if it wasn't. He found the fuse box and unscrewed the ruined fuse, a chunk of brass and glass nearly as thick as his thumb. He took a fresh one from the box in the carriage beneath the fuses and screwed it in gently, bracing for the pop if the system was still overloaded. There was a momentary electrical crack, and then the lights flickered on through the building. His imagination ran wild for a second, telling him he would turn to find that odd, pale woman he'd seen standing behind him. But he found himself alone with only the fluttering yellow overhead lights and the mice to keep him company. The rest of the basement was a wide, empty space of crumbling white concrete blotted by dark mold. The ruins of a makeshift casino, one of Mr. Mansour's many illicit activities, lay in piles at the far end of the nearly empty space. It was little more than four or five card tables, Christmas lights, and a bar but Barden expected it had been quite lively when it was still in operation. Glass still littered the corners from where the patrons had thrown empty, sometimes full, bottles of liquor and other drinks. He stowed his light in his pocket and he walked upstairs, flicking switches on and off in tandem to keep the lights ahead of him on and the ones behind him off. There was little other light in the apartment. It had already been late in the night when the lightning struck and most people were asleep. The doors he passed were quiet and tightly shut, dark in the gaps over the floor where an errant lamp or television might shine through. All save one. The door of the apartment below his, 3B, hung open before him as he reached the top of the third floor stairs. The stairs themselves ran in a corkscrew up the front of the building from the front door, around an empty space perhaps two or three meters wide, down which descended a series of half-functional chandeliers, all hanging from the same thick brass chain. He saw the open door before he arrived on the third floor, and couldn't place why it made him so nervous to see. The thought, of course of that strange and pale apparition he'd seen in his room still played through his mind, but he'd since convinced himself that it was nothing more than a trick of the lightning, or maybe just the first soft touches of madness from living so long alone. There was an ethereal, twilight quality about the room, so that he passed it slowly, 
looking inside the entire time. A window set at the far end of the apartment, directly below his own garret's single large window, but looked out not on Paris, but the wall of the building across the alley. He stopped in the center of the doorway and saw the large back window, the doorway itself, and the window of the apartment on the far end of the alley opened upon each other perfectly, like the planets aligning. There was a woman in the window across the alleyway, her body and movements little more than shadow playing in the light of that distant room. The very shape of her was twisted and blurred by imperfections in the glass, but there was no confusion in Bardin's mind as to what he was seeing. There are things which the human mind will never confuse, and this, this was one of the simplest and oldest and most perfect. A woman, alone, dancing to a song only she could hear. Bardin watched the tableau a second more, sharing the same blue light which lit this anonymous woman. Then the door to that lonely, dark apartment began to shut. It closed slowly. Moved by little more than the universe itself, he supposed, until all was blocked from sight and he was, again, alone. There was nothing out of place on his recording, and nothing out of place in his apartment. It existed as it was intended to, lonely and quiet and utterly empty. He edited his short response to Melanie and was surprised when the finished product was less than a minute long. He'd said so much to her, or at least he thought he had. But he'd taken out all the parts he thought would irritate her, would be too forward or too embarrassing, too personal or too confusing. In the end, he was left with simple, perfunctory, professional nothingness, words in order. A sentence. He sent it off and went to sleep and dreamed of the shape of a woman dancing to a song he'd never heard before. And on that other side of reality, a braver man than Bardin reached out and turned a knob until the volume filled all creation. that was the first half of Ghost Story. What did you think of it? Do you ever feel isolated from the world? Do odd, supernatural entities appear to you in the dark of your gloomy Paris apartment? And what do you think is going on in this strange, strange story? Speculate with other fans by joining the conversation on the West Side Fairy Tales Facebook pages, West Side Fairy Tales and the West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club, or tweet us at WS Fairy Tales. We're always posting on Instagram, too. Just search West Side Fairy Tales, of course, or send me a message personally at westsidefairytales at gmail.com. If you're looking for a deeper dive into the West Side Fairy Tales universe in today's episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. For just a dollar a month, we'll keep you in the loop with audio updates, but for $5 or more, you can get access to WSF Behind the Story episodes, as well as exclusive merch and all sorts of other stuff. Look us up at patreon.com slash westsidefairytales and consider joining today. Also, we have a club you can join. The West Side Fairy Tales Horror and Lit Club on Facebook is a great place to chat with other fans, as well as get a little more in-depth with this month's book and random horror recommendations. 
I've started doing a sort of audio newsletter where I break down the recommendations and go into detail about what I like about them and why they're worth checking out. It's pretty casual, so don't expect to be lectured at. And you can get early access to it, again, at patreon.com slash westsidefairytales. That's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and my rambling, and that you'll join us the first Friday of the new year for the chilling conclusion to Ghost Story. As a little addendum to that, this next episode contains one of my favorite scenes that I've written ever, and I'm really pumped for you guys to hear it. So, take care until then. Happy Holidays, Christmas, Kwanzaa, and Festivus. Love whoever you love, hold them close, and if you're feeling lonely, reach out to someone. And, of course, as always, stay safe out there. Westside Fairy Tales is written, read, scored, and produced by Tyler Bell. Episode artwork by Yui Breedlove. All content herein copyright 2018, Tyler Bell. This episode dedicated in loving memory to Jacques the Rabbit, November 2007 to December 2018. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Something's not quite right in the quiet mountain town of Targrady, West Virginia. Months after a local teen was lynched in the dead of a hot summer night, two men stand charged with murder in what the majority opinion considers to be an open and shut case. But Adelaide Stevenson, a young crime reporter from Charleston, is finding out the smallest cracks in the official narrative run far, far deeper than she could have ever expected. 
Join Adelaide and West by God as she navigates small-town secrets, the dubious ethics of her own profession, and the dark whispers of an ancient creature, known to some as the Witcham Woman, who prowls the shadowed hollers that lie between night and nightmare. Sent on overnight assignment to cover the start of the trial, Adelaide quickly realizes the story she's been told, and been telling, doesn't make sense. Cryptic assertions of a concrete alibi are emailed to her by the family of the accused. Nobody in town seems comfortable discussing the basic facts of the case, and the murder she's been writing about wasn't the only tragic death this summer. Adelaide extends her stay against the wishes of her editor, and her investigations take a complicated and dangerous turn as she discovers the true depths of the mysteries surrounding Targrady. The only real evidence from the night of the murder may lie in the hands of a notorious local crime family led by an enigmatic woman known as the Fetid Queen. Local authorities seem to grow more hostile by the hour, and even Adelaide's own career might not survive this assignment. Featuring an eclectic cast of characters ranging from violent and horrifying to outlandish and fabulous, West by God is a must-read novel for anybody who enjoys Twin Peaks, Stephen King, and all the creepy places you find just off the path in the woods. It is the debut novel of Tyler Bell, a USMC infantry combat veteran, former crime and courts reporter for the Charleston Daily Mail, and creator of the award-winning West Side Fairy Tales horror and dark fiction podcast, due for release by Henlow Press in October of 2023. Learn more at westsidefairytales.com slash westbygod.